Blog Talk Radio. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. Now in this show, we'll be focusing on one aspect of the age-old dilemma. Would you prefer to outlive your money or have your money outlive you? Although this seems like one of those rhetorical questions that you don't really have to answer, notice that the first month of 2014 will be over at the end of this week. You see, time flies despite the fact that it always seems like we have plenty of time to deal with those long-term topics. The expression I like best for this financial planning procrastination is the Spanish word, mañana. Although the dictionary may define it as tomorrow, the real meaning is not today. Our topic today is annuities, and there are so many aspects and considerations that I'll keep my introductory and summary comments very short, so you also don't have to vote my scratchy voice, which you may notice I did catch a cold. Now, I don't have a good reason for catching a cold, like living in the northeastern U.S. or northern Europe, where the temperatures have been very, very frigid recently, but maybe it's just my way to empathize with the listeners living in those parts of the world. Now, if we could take a survey of all of our listeners about their knowledge or perception of annuities, I think we'd find a number that feel they're a great investment, like a cornerstone in their investment pyramid. Others might say that high fees allow insurance companies to make more money than the investor. Others might share examples of how some of their friends or relatives have been scammed by investment in annuities, and at least a few, and I include myself in this group, would feel they don't really know enough about the various types and choices they can make with annuities to be able to accurately evaluate them against other investments. So that's what our mission is today. Before we bring on our guest, I'd like to put this topic into context, as I usually do. Uh, I would agree that annuities should be part of the base of your investment pyramid, or if you prefer to use buckets, they would be part of the cash bucket. I'd also agree that annuities, some annuities at least, have high fees. And that may be one of the big reasons that there are many ads, sales pitches, and seminars to encourage you to invest in annuities. Guess why? The salesperson or that company making that sales pitch will earn a significant commission. That, incidentally, is the reason we choose to bring Jason Slade back as our guest today. He's the type of investment advisor who'd who'd prefer you understand whether or not annuities are right for you than to have you invest a significant portion of your portfolio in something that isn't appropriate for you. And one more important factor I would add about annuities, we often share that there are only two types of investments, owning or loaning. Annuities should be considered a loaning instrument and not compared against owning types of investments. In other words, don't consider them um, or don't compare them to stocks and commodities, uh, real estate, things that you would own, or maybe a business even. Don't compare the returns to that. It's more appropriate to compare them to fixed income portion of your portfolio like CDs bonds and mortgages. Now, whether you're on the West Coast and enjoying a cup of coffee as you listen, or you're uh, on the East Coast planning lunch at the end of the show, or in Europe wrapping up your work day and you're listening to the archive, uh, any one of those choices, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. Now, I suspect the only complaint you'll have is that we didn't have enough time to cover all of the aspects that would help you decide whether annuities are appropriate as a part of your portfolio or not. But I can assure you this will not be our last show on annuities. There are many more aspects to cover, and we would be remiss if we ignored those other aspects. 
Now, the advantage of joining us live during the show is you get to ask questions or make comments, either by using the chat window below the radio player or by calling in. If you're listening to the archive, neither of those options will work. I've tried. Anyway, today is January 27th it's 2000, of 2014. It is 9.05 in um, Arizona, that's AM, 11.05 AM on the East Coast, and 17.05 in continental Europe. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a good one. You're listening to the Wealthy and A Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can find it on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. Given the number of aspects our guest will cover, I recommend you use the chat window below the radio player, or you can call in, and our producer will put you through. The call-in number is 917-388-4162, which is shown at the top of the Internet screen as well. Now, the U.S. equity, equity markets are dropping, I'm sorry, which dropped significantly on Friday, are off to a negative start again, which is typical for a Monday. But incidentally, the S&P 500, which hit a new high just a week and a half ago, on Friday fell below its 50-day um, and this is the exponentially moving average. A lot of times we don't say that, but it is an exponentially moving average. It's the first time since October. Asia was down between 1% and 2.5%, so pretty significant. Europe is ending down, and Brazil is the only major market I've noticed that's up. Our special guest today to cover annuities is Jason Slade. He's a branch manager and financial advisor with Raymond James, based in the Phoenix West Valley. He was born and raised in the Southwest, lived in Durango, Colorado, then northwestern New Mexico, before making the Phoenix area his home. Jason Slade earned a bachelor's degree in economics at Brigham Young University and an MBA from Arizona State University. Part of his mission today was to help each of our listeners earn their MBA. And the MBA I'm referring to in that case is your mega bank account. He started his career in banking and he's been involved in financial planning and advising since 1997. Let's give Jason Slade a warm radio welcome. Jason, so glad you're willing to join us again. Oh, thanks, Ron. I appreciate being able to be here. Now, I gave a brief overview of background. How do you introduce yourself if you're at a cocktail party or a meeting with, uh, with some new people? Well, uh, the way that I, I would typically introduce myself is really about what we do, and that's we help families and individuals build and protect and then distribute their wealth. Uh, we try to work with them to understand what they want, uh, what they need their money to do, and quite often those are two different things, and then help them to create a plan that allows them to reach those goals. And that's you know, the Reader's Digest version, how, we, how those cocktail party conversations usually start. Quite often they end that way, too. <laughs> and you do emphasize the piece of what do you want your money to accomplish. And you ask that question uh, very often as to why we invest. And I like that uh, to, to always revert back to what are you trying to accomplish with, with the investment that you're thinking about. Uh, let's start with a definition. What are annuities? Well, terrific place to start because there are so many different iterations uh, of the annuities out there. At, the, at its core, an annuity is really simply a contract between you as, a, as an individual investor and, an, and the annuity in issuer or the insurance company. Uh, in its very simplest form, you, and I, you or I pay money to the annuity issuer or the insurance company. The issuer or insurance company invests those funds, and then they pay principal and earnings back to us or to one of our named beneficiaries. That's the simplest version or simplest definition of what an annuity is. Okay, let me use an analogy. It's, it sounds like it fits. When I retire from a company that has a pension, now that isn't the case in my case, but if somebody did retire from a company that had a pension available, often they have a choice of either taking it as a lump sum or annuitizing it to a stream of payments that would come during their lifetime. Would that be a fair analogy to that lump sum? So you're, in essence, paying in uh, a lump sum to the uh, insurance company, and they are then giving you that stream of payments? Yeah, in the way that you've the way that you've couched the analogy, it's a very very similar concept. Where I would offer that there are some, and you you said it very well at the beginning. There are 
there are variations to these annuities and to what they do. What you've couched and what is 100% accurate is the, that idea of an immediate annuity where okay. you are effectively having those options of a lifetime income or some other variant on that. Okay. Now, last time you were on the show, we talked about MLPs, the uh, Master Limited Partnerships, and we briefly touched on, it's a different topic, royalty trusts. I, I thought of this a few weeks ago. Would it be fair to say a royalty trust is a little bit like an annuity with one key difference? The annuity pays out based on your death, and the royalty trust pays out based on the death of the underlying investment, which might be an oil well or a group of oil wells. Um, is that is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah, I think that that's again that's a terrific example. Um, barring any externalities, both of those vehicles are, are they're finite in their in their life cycle. Um, as a practical matter, and from our conversation from last time, they don't always work that way. But I think the analogy still holds. Um, I've said it previously. I think that the one challenge with that is um, when we're making that comparison to to make certain that we understand which of the different annuities we're actually contrasting with. The immediate annuity is one I think would would fit most closely with that analogy. In both cases, since we're talking about a lump sum at that point in time and then starting payments. Okay, good. Now, before we forget, business is easy to forget once we dig in, let's get your contact information to our listeners. Uh, You have a website. How do they access that? Some of them like to do that while we're still on the show. Yeah, there's there's two ways to access the website. You can mm-hmm. use my name alone, just www.jasonlslade.com, and that one's easy mm-hmm. for me to remember. Or my <laughs> lengthy title is www.legacyfinancialservicesgroup.com, and that's how you access the the website. You'll find bios and a great deal of good information on the site. Okay, and so then the easier one, and let me repeat that one, would be Jason L., your middle initial, Slade.com. Okay, and remind our listeners where your offices are. Well, we're fortunate. We have two offices, um, both located in the West Valley uh, here in mm-hmm. Phoenix. Uh, where I'm presently seated is uh, over on 14950 West Indian School Road in Goodyear. We're at Suite 180 mm-hmm. there. And then in Sun City West, we have our second office, uh, the address 13. 843 West Meeker Boulevard, and we're in Suite 101 there off of Meeker. Okay. Yeah, I've never visited your Sun City uh, West office. That's interesting. I need to stop by sometime. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Goodyear office, you could almost say, is right at the edge of Litchfield Park because uh, okay. the I, I, it's hard for me to tell where those boundaries are. Of course, there's no big sign that says <laughs> welcome to uh, Litchfield Park or, or Goodyear, but you're right on that, that kind of western border of Litchfield Park as yep. well. Yep. Okay. One very key point I want to make sure we, we cover and emphasize right up front, and I'll probably remind our listeners at the very end. If I invest in a 30-year bond or a mortgage note paying some percentage, uh, 4 5 6%, whatever it is, I can't directly compare that to an annuity's yield or, or uh, payout since at the end of the 30 years or 25 or how many that, that bond or note is, uh, I or my heirs would still have the face value, whereas with an annuity, I would not. Is that correct? Well, Ron, you, you know me well enough that uh, my answer here is not going to surprise you too much. I, I think the correct answer here is it depends. Okay, uh, good. Let me and elaborate that's why I want a to little clarify. Bit. Good, 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 good. Let's uh, let's let's go through that. You know, and, and and while you're at it, let's talk about some of the differences between a long-term bond, whether it's thirty years, twenty-five, or whatever, versus an annuity, and you know, and how the payouts work. Okay, so just speaking to the the payouts um, to start with, it, it, the the real issue for you in, in the analogy is going. It depends on how that annuity gets structured okay. to begin with. Um, if we have elected, and let's go back to your example of the pension. If we've elected that pension where we said, oh, I just want this based on my lifetime. Mm-hmm. If I'm still alive at the end of the 30 years, the insurance company is still paying me even though that 30-year uh, period is up. However, mm-hmm. if at the outset I told the insurance company, and this is and go, and the, the definition of the annuity, we said it's a contractual obligation. And so we set up okay. that contract at the beginning, and we might tell the insurance company we're interested in a 30-year Annuity, and if we've done that, mm-hmm. your your analogy or your example is spot on. At the end of that thirty-year period, 
the contract has been satisfied from the insurance company standpoint. They'll mm-hmm. not they'll not make any more payments to us. And in that respect, that long-term bond for you and I or for our heirs ends up as a far better deal there because uh, it's produced. Let's assume that the company hasn't had a default. There have been no challenges there. You've sure. produced cash flow, and yet you still have the value of the asset itself. Where I think this is changing, and this has been one of the uh, – significant changes, I think, in the way that the annuity landscape has played out is that I'm finding fewer and fewer folks who are willing to take that risk of, hey, I I may leave this money to the insurance company. I don't want to do that. And what what we're Mm -hmm. finding happen is that we're structuring those annuities at the beginning so that you don't end up leaving money on the table. And, and when I say that, I mean you're not leaving money to the insurance company. It's getting left to your heirs, or more importantly, it's maintaining itself in terms of its payments for you over your lifetime. Okay. All right. So there are, but the so fundamentally, if I just want a straight annuity, uh, didn't didn't put anything special in, I would have nothing, or my family would have nothing left at the end. Whereas I can set up those contracts uh, to 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 do that. Okay. But that's an important point, just so people understand. It's a just I can't compare face value and. Uh, and yield against a bond and say, hey, the, uh, you know, the bond is a better investment or the uh, annuity is a better investment, uh, you have to look at uh, a little more detail on that one. Correct. Let me, let me add one sure. more piece, Ron, because I think it, it'll be, it's particularly important if we're making a comparison between, say, the bond and the annuity. Mm-hmm. Quite often in the marketplace, when you hear quotes, and this is very specific to the immediate annuity, you'll hear, whether it's an advisor like myself or a salesperson, talk about what the yield is. And in at its core, that's erroneous for you and I. And I'll give you a, a quick example. If if I'm 65 years old uh, and I, and I deposit, make a deposit into an immediate annuity and I say, just pay me based on my life expectancy, mm-hmm. if, if I look at the numbers, I'm going to get roughly 6.8% out in terms of a cash flow. The challenge to that is part of what's being paid back to me is my own money. It's it's principal that's coming back to me. In fact, in that in that case, you know, they 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 would the insurance company pays me about five hundred and seventy dollars a month. Of that five hundred and seventy dollars, only a hundred and seventy a hundred seventy one dollars of it is actually taxable. So it's my own principal that's coming back to me in those annuity payments. And so when we're making that evaluation. If you're looking at a 30-year bond, you're being paid interest, and your principal is in the background. In an annuity, when you start those annuity payments, your principal is part of what's coming back to you. They're paying you with your own money first. They're helping to to certainly lengthen that out. But it's your own dollars that are coming back. There's some tax advantages to looking at it that way, but to to compare it or contrast them based on yield alone is going to lead you down a path that you're already off base just a little bit because that's not precisely what's taking place. Okay, so you just proven that it's easier if you take a specific example to to make that point, uh, but well set. So I can't compare a bond paying 4% and an annuity paying 65 because some of that 65 is indeed uh, principal. Okay, well set. Now, annuities, just like bonds, many years ago paid out a much higher amount, uh, higher percentage. So instead of that 65 in your example, they might have paid 7 or 8 uh, is, uh, but at the same time, even though they're paying more, a lot of people viewed them as scams, and um, therefore were, were really kind of, kind of a bad name. What caused that? You know, I, I, I've, I've thought a lot about that with with respect to the annuities that we use here in our office and just the marketplace in general. And I will, I, my opinion here is that I think that a lot of what's taken place historically is that the annuities are not a very transparent product in many ways. And I would go back to the example of the yield that I just shared with you. And because it's not transparent, quite often the the client picks up the product, they have the product in there, and they don't understand what they've bought. Uh, There are many times that the salesperson doesn't understand what they've bought. And so I would, would, or what they've sold, rather. And so I would say that part of the scam portion of this whether intended or unintended, there's, very, there's been poor information or, in some cases, misinformation that, that's done. And then secondarily, um, 
the annuities, as, as we as I alluded to earlier, quite often the, my answer with respect to annuities is it depends, and that's because there's so mm-hmm. many different structures available. I think that's part of where the scam comes into comes comes into play, whether it's a, a malpractice that's done or just a, again poor information. But if the structure of the annuity is done incorrectly, then the product doesn't work in the way that that the client views it. This is this is one of those pieces that uh, the annuities in general takes a great deal of scrutiny because they, they can be misapplied or misrepresented. And so you see, they've earned that reputation in no small part because, it, again, that structurally there are so many differences that you need to know what you're doing in order to use them well. Okay. But the perception seems to be better now. At least I've talked to a number of people who feel they're you know, kind of the cornerstone of their, their retirement income. So something is changing in that perception. Is it just information available? Are the products better? Um, are commissions lower? I mean, what, what are some of those factors? Well, I think it's a combination of a variety of those things that you, that you mentioned. I, I think the options that are available um, are significantly greater than what we had even in 1997 when I started uh, as an advisor. The, the alternatives that I can offer to clients are significantly larger. Secondly, and I would say this is something that's changed simply within the last decade, last 10 years, you're seeing a much bigger push for transparency in terms of the pricing, in terms of the costs, in terms of each of those pieces so that there are, again, it's back to that information. The better the information, the better decision I can make. And so that's that's been better. And then I, I, with the advent, uh, I'm not going to say the advent of, of the Internet, but with a greater usage, I think we're better educated as a general public about what's out there and what's available. Um, I would I would still probably argue you know, the last comment that you made or the last piece mm-hmm. on the commissions, that one is one that, it, it, as a consumer, um, I think that we don't, from my uh, from my perspective in the industry, I don't know that we always do a very good job of explaining what the commission is or what that compensation is. There, and I don't want to apologize for what those charges are, but I think that the consumer needs to understand what the motivation uh, mm-hmm. potentially is for offering those products, because uh, quite often the the annuity or the insurance product has a has a higher uh, compensation level to it to the advisor or to the salesperson than some of the other alternatives. It doesn't make it bad. I want to emphasize that it does not make it bad because you're uh, as long as you're getting the value back, uh, that's not a challenge. But you should know what's in the background. What's and in that, there? That's changing. That's getting better. Okay. And so again, thanks to Al Gore for the internet. This does does make more information <laughs> available to us. <laughs> we always have to mention him somewhere in here. Uh, let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you've missed some of the prior shows, you want to go re-listen. They're on our archives, wealthdna.us. Uh, if you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, you can do one of two things or do both. Just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us, or in the upper left-hand side of the screen, there is a little follow button under the Boomer and the Babes picture. Just click that button. They'll keep you posted. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to uh, ask questions. And the easiest way, because we do have so much to cover with annuities, is to use the chat window below the radio player. Our topic today is annuities. Our special guest is Jason Slade with Raymond James. Now, Jason, as I recall, there are a number of types of annuities, and the most common we, we talk about are fixed and variable. And, and recently I'm hearing about this uh, mouthful. It's called the Principal Pro- Protected Low-Cost New Generation Annuity. It, take me, it took me three times to get that written down from, from hearing on the radio. Uh, what other types are out there? Well, um, Hey, uh, with the advent, as I said earlier, of, of the information age, uh, and you said it well, thank you to Mr. Gore for providing <laughs> that to us. The, the number and types of annuities has really expanded. Uh, okay. and it's, we've talked a little bit earlier about the immediate annuity, and I think that's the one that most most listeners, most consumers are most familiar with. Like, you know, I give my mm-hmm. money to the insurance company, and then they, in return they promise to pay me for a set period of time um, and when that time has elapsed, then they don't pay anymore. That, uh, under a broader context, annuities have two phases to them, and it's probably easier okay. to understand the annuity world thinking about where those phases are. Um, so there's the accumulation phase, 
where I'm not necessarily taking a payout, but rather, as the name suggests, I'm accumulating value. And so under that, uh, that would be an immediate, uh, the immediate annuity doesn't fit in that particular space because it starts in a gotcha. uh, cash right away. But under that framework, something like a fixed annuity. Uh, and a fixed annuity, you, at the beginning of the program, wonderful description, it is a CD. Uh, now, it has some characteristics to it that I, that I think, in some respects, will, will give it some uh, benefits that a CD doesn't have, not the least of which any of these vehicles, whether it's a fixed annuity, a variable annuity, an immediate annuity, there's some tax benefits in that the, the resources the, that, we've, that we've invested, those are growing in a tax-deferred status. Okay. So on a fixed annuity, I might be earning a set rate of interest for whether it's, uh, you can buy them that are a year long, you can buy them that are uh, 10 years and 15 years. And very much like a long-term bond, the example there, or a CD that mm-hmm. we're very familiar with, the longer the term that I buy, the higher interest rate I'm going to receive um, to have my money in there. Now, the, the trade-off is this. As those rates change, if I mm-hmm. were to elect to take my money out of the of the annuity, I may be I may be faced with some type of a surrender penalty or surrender charge, um, or conversely, they may on a fixed annuity they may make me subject to something like bonds endure, and that's a market value adjustment. Mm-hmm. In simplest form: if I bought an annuity today, a ten-year annuity that was paying say three percent, and the rates go higher, if I were to choose to try to sell that annuity or liquidate the annuity say in year two or year three, it's very likely I'm not going to get my premium back. I'm going to get a smaller amount, and that's quite simply because the underlying investment has declined in value. The interest rate hasn't changed that I'm receiving mm-hmm. on the annuity itself, but the value has declined. I, I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit, uh, there are several moving pieces in there, but for a fixed annuity, that's, uh, think of a CD. That's how, those, that's how those work with some tax deferral. Okay. Um, you know, I think the step above a fixed annuity and probably one that in the last several years has seen more traction in terms of market share and mm-hmm. gets talked about quite often, uh, more often than any of the others, and that would be the indexed or equity indexed okay. annuities. Mm-hmm. Um, the the annuity that you mentioned, the the new version, is really an equity indexed annuity with some frills added in. And at, at, at its core, equity indexed annuity is really nothing more than a fixed annuity, but there are two different ways that they do their, their computations for it. Uh, one has a set rate, usually a floor rate. Um, I've often used the analogy with the equity indexed annuities, and this is where understanding the product is very important. It's going to behave like a CD or like a bond. It gives you a, a minimum floor guaranteed to you. But then there'll be, as I said, the secondary calculation based on, and you get to choose. Do you want do you want to have something that that focuses on the S and P 500 or the the EFA or perhaps the Russell 2000 or a combination of those different indices? Um, but the end, it, they'll track the index, and you usually don't get the entire value of the index. A good example would be last year, you know, the S and P's up. 30-some-odd percent, right, if you exactly. own an equity index annuity, you're not going to capture the full 30%. Depending on how they're doing the calculation, you're going to be capped. There are going to be different variables to it. But it gives you the chance at a higher upside than a traditional CD would. And so what they do is they look at what, which of those two is greater, and you get credited that value to your, to your annuity, where those have become very popular, very much like a fixed annuity. If you'll harken back to 2008, when it feels like mm-hmm. the financial world might come apart at the seams, the equity indexed annuities, the fixed annuities, you didn't see a value loss, and that's, again, because they have a minimum or a floor amount that you get credit. And so for a conservative investor or for that part of your portfolio that's not designed to run fast, it's designed to be kind of the bedrock, very boring part of your portfolio, those pieces can fit quite nicely there. Um, okay. They're, go ahead, Ron. I, I, no, I was going to say, but you know, it sounds like we we got a lot to cover in an hour. Boy, there's there's just a <laughs> lot of flavors to this thing. So before we dig into those types a little deeper, um, 
most of these, uh, well, the, the, the annuities are essentially sold by insurance companies. They may be managed or, or, or uh, uh, but they're, they're, in essence, the product behind is, is an insurance product. So do they have options or riders or what are they called in this, like uh, property insurance would, where I can have a, uh, a business rider or, or a vacancy rider or life insurance policy where I can have a number of different riders on it? Uh, is there something similar in the annuity world? Yeah, uh, so as much of a mouthful and, and uh, pieces we have with the different types of annuities, because we left a couple out, the riders okay. or the alternatives are at least as great in number. I'll, I'll just highlight a, a couple of them here. Yeah, just right? give us a few of them, we, right? We, mm-hmm. Well, we talked earlier about the structure, so let's go back to the immediate annuity idea. We can choose something as simple as a lifetime annuity uh, based on my life alone. If I want to okay. ensure that both my wife and I have income that will last forever, we can do a joint uh, a joint life annuity. We can do uh, one of those lifetime annuities, but we can have a, uh, a specific term, a minimum term that goes with that. Now, that, those are all structural pieces. They don't change the cost per se, but they will change what the annuity will pay out. The more you're trying to guarantee, the lower your payout will be. There are pieces then, after the fact, that you can bolt on to the annuity, and, and we call them riders in the insurance world, and the riders... Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just give you a, a handful. There's a sure. cost of living adjustment rider, uh, and, and okay. just as the name would suggest, uh, this will give you the opportunity to have a cost of living adjustment, an increase to that. Now, that's gonna, there's a cost for that. This is one of those riders that would be specific to an immediate annuity. You're not going to find it on a fixed or, or one of the deferred annuities, uh, gotcha. but on the immediate annuity, that's, that's immediate in there. One of the pieces, and I, this is one of the terrific changes I think that's been made, particularly on those immediate annuities, is the cash installment refund rider, which basically lets me as a consumer feel confident that if I've purchased the annuity, I know that this isn't going to necessarily just end up in the hands of the insurance company so that they can have a big, shiny building. This, this means that my money, if I've bought this particular rider, if the insurance company has not paid me back all of my principal that I gave to them, Mm-hmm. My heirs or my estate is going to get that at my death, uh, it, it, whatever that sum happens to be. So I can add that right okay. on there. Again, that re- will reduce some of those payouts. On the the equity indexed annuities or the vari- the variable annuities, there are a variety. Probably the most popular riders there are the the riders that will guarantee either an accumulation amount. And you'll hear those referred to. The, the correct name is a guaranteed minimum accumulation benefit rider say that four okay. times fast. Uh, <laughs> or on the income side, you'll see a guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit, a guaranteed minimum income benefit, or a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit rider. And those are three different pieces, or, or three wow. different riders. They do three different, it's really three different ways of getting at the same vehicle. And as the name suggests, they're simply trying to generate a fixed or a minimum amount of income, regardless of the valuation that the that the annuity has presently, those income benefits are typically based off of what was the amount that I put in, what mm-hmm. has it grown to um, at its highest value, less any withdrawals, and so that will dictate what my income comes out from those. Those are probably the most popular. Um, they they do those five years ago, seven years ago, those were very, very rich riders. They were places where you could get as much as a 7% guaranteed income for life. Um, the insurance companies went through 2008, much like you and I, and they realized that uh, they, they couldn't continue to offer some of those very, very uh, rich benefits. And so most of the time, you're seeing those now in the 45 to maybe 6.5% range. Some of it's age-based, but but in general, they'll give you a, a guaranteed income, and it usually starts right around that 4.5%. Um, very briefly, you also will see long-term care riders or terminal illness riders, some uh, mm. calls uh, the healthcare rider pieces. You'll you'll see those in there. In addition to, for that client that says you you at very appropriately term these appropriate for that buckets of money idea, for that mm-hmm. client that says I'm not I'm not buying this for myself. I'm buying it for my heirs. Right. And perhaps for some reason I'm uninsurable. There are riders that will act very much like an insurance product, where they will guarantee an increase to the death benefit, regardless of the performance of the of the annuity itself. So, boy, there's a thousand different ways that you can wow. structure that, and that also means that there's a thousand different ways that there can be costs 
associated right. with how you set that up. And those are costs that are not transparent. You're not going to see a line item. Most most of the insurance companies do not bill that as a line item. It's simply built into the whether it's the price per share or the daily pricing of the annuity itself. And so unless you know that it's there, you won't ever see it. It's, that part's not transparent. Okay, so but you will see, as you said, as you add more bells and whistles, your returns will be a little bit lower because somehow they have to pay for these uh, these extras uh, on there. Okay, now we obviously won't have enough time to cover all of those riders today, but hopefully it starts to give uh, our listeners a feel for how complex a decision really is as to whether or not, and then more importantly, which type fit. I mean, it really would be a fairly large decision tree. I'm actually going to try to uh, take a stab at that to prepare for the next show to help me kind of guide the discussions. Boy, you really can get all over the map with that without getting into individual situations, which, of course, one individual doesn't help many others. But let's let's dig into that fixed annuity a little bit um, more. What is it that's fixed about that annuity? Well, kind of as the name suggests, the fixed portion is the rate that you're receiving, and they come with a specific term. Um, for example, if, you, okay. if we bought a three-year fixed annuity, um, we're not going to earn a whole lot on those, on those fixed annuities presently. But if I bought a three-year fixed annuity, three years from now, what I would expect to take place is that the insurance, uh, the, the insurance, pardon me, the interest rates rather, will have increased. And as those rates increase, I will be able okay. to, to roll over into the new uh, rate, if you will. And so I can roll that along. Again, it's growing on a tax-deferred basis. So if I'm, con- if I'm contrasting it with just the CD on an mm-hmm. absolute basis, uh, if the two rates are identical, the fact that one is tax-deferred should, should give it the performance advantage that it, those are usually credited daily and compounded. Some will compound daily, some will compound monthly. But that should give that fixed annuity some advantages over its taxable cousin. Now the trade-off. Uh, okay. That fixed annuity is not a liquid investment. I would argue that a CD okay. is not very liquid either. That's true. But that's, that's your biggest uh, trade-off is in terms of my liquidity there with that fixed annuity. The rate is set. And, and that won't change. Where I, where I find that our clients uh, that prefer the fixed annuities, uh, mm-hmm. where they're used quite often, is for that person that says, you know, well, I, don't, I need this money to do something, but I do not want to see fluctuation. A fixed annuity is wonderful for okay. that. When you look at your statement, it doesn't drop. Unless you've taken money out, there's no drop to it. And so that's one of the, in 2008, the folks that owned a fixed annuity, they've, they've they slept peacefully. There were no changes to their statements. In fact, they just saw that crediting. And so their statements grew uh, month over month uh, over the course of the full year. They grew at that steady, steady rate. There's no, you don't see a downdraft there. And so if you're, if you're concerned about daily fluctuation, that's a piece, a piece that you can add to the portfolio and not have to have that concern. Okay, so I could buy a fixed annuity, let's say for a five-year term or even a 10-year term, uh, while I'm not taking the money, if you will. And what if at that point I plan in in, in that five or 10 years to start taking distributions from it? How does that work? So the... the, um, we're in that initially in that accumulation phase, and then there's a payout phase. At the time I'm buying this, do I know what it's going to be paying me at the end? Okay, great, terrific question, Ron. And, and my answer is going to be: it depends on what you buy. And I know that's okay. okay. factory by itself. So let me let me split this the response into two portions. Okay. So using the fixed annuity that I just referred to, I don't yep. know what the rates are going to be in a year. I don't know what they're going to be in 10 years. And so to that end, if I bought that fixed annuity with the idea that I'm going to take distributions in 10 years, really what I'm saying mm-hmm. or what I'm hoping is that rates will be higher 10 years from now and that my distribution as a result will be higher. But there's an unknown quantity to that. That's a, a, fixed, a, new, a fixed annuity. Now, on the, on the flip side of that, I can use a deferred, and this will sound odd, but a deferred immediate annuity and simply defer my income stream for five years or 10 years into the future. Now, if I do that, if I've chosen that particular type of a fixed annuity, the rate will certainly change. They're going to credit me a rate based on where we're at today. But the other factor then that goes into this, and this this is very particular to any time that we've annuitized 
or we've started that income contract with the, mm-hmm. with the insurance company, my age and my gender really, really impact what those distributions are going to be, as much if not more so than the rate itself. And so okay. as, if, I'm, if I'm looking 10 years out into the future, what happens is I get mortality credits for that. And those mortality credits are going to build up, and so my payout will likely be higher as a result uh, unless there's a significant change in the interest rate environment. But under that format, yep, I can know with, with certainty, hey, I'm gonna, on my $100,000 that I'm investing, I'm going to receive you know, $600 a month, and that's just an example, or $650 a month, whatever the, the number is, depending on my age, depending on how long I've deferred that, uh, that income uh, treatment, I'll know exactly what I'm going to get out into the future. Um, very much like the traditional fixed annuity that I mentioned earlier, liquidity is a constraint there. And once that, that income stream has started, uh, my liquidity and certainly my options are diminished dramatically. But that's two, two fixed annuities, two mm-hmm. variants on the fixed annuities, and two very different potential results, one known and one less known, uh, based off of this same idea of a fixed annuity in the portfolio. Now, there's, here's a sentence I would have never been able to, to, to state or believe prior to the show, that a, a deferred immediate annuity will be more certain than a fixed annuity. Yeah. But that's basically what we're saying. Which <laughs> is really it's amazing as you get into the terminology that in the realm of fixed annuity, we're talking about a deferred immediate, which I guess I didn't even know existed prior to this. Uh, that is uh, is an interesting way that the uh, the industry has developed some of this terminology. But that's that's very, very helpful because, I, again, I, the, the right answer was depends. And it's good to know that there are the two different ways to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure most people would know to ask that question. So like I, I, you know, I'm, I was kind of shooting at it from a you know theoretical example, but uh, I, I also was a bit surprised on that one. Uh, what would if I did a fixed annuity today with immediate payments? Um, then you know, how, what's the range of those uh, interest rates that would be, or the payout rates? I guess would be the official uh, terminology that might uh, take place depending on my age. Well, I'll kind of go back to, to what I had said earlier, and I, I took a very broad one because, again, these are going to be okay. gender-based, age-based, mm-hmm. and okay. then the, the, the current rates are going to, to impact that. Uh, just prior to, to coming on this morning, I ran a couple okay. of different quotes. Um, if I'm a 65-year-old male, uh, mm-hmm. my distribution, if you will, and, I, and again, the companies matter here. Uh, the companies matter what they're going to, uh, the quality of the company, and and and, and simply what they what they pay out. All of those pieces matter, but uh, in in this particular case, a 65 year old male is going to generate about a 6.8 percent cash flow um, on okay. that Good, on better that annuity. Though now that sometimes it gets referred to a yield, but that's really cash flow because part of it, <laughs> as I said, is return um, is return of your principal. If I'm looking at that number more precisely and said, okay, well, what's my real yield? My real yield is 4.8. I'm getting roughly $400 a month uh, on that, and that's, uh, that's the piece that, that, uh, that's being generated. So it's not a significant difference from, say, the long-term bond or some of the other pieces mm-hmm, we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. Um, and that's, that's in that range. If, uh, for a female, they'll get slightly less uh, at that same uh-huh. age, and that's that, the age-old idea that... In, whether this holds true or not, but the actuaries look at it and say, look, a female is likely to live a little bit longer than, the, than their male counterparts. So as a result, we're going to pay them a little bit less because we, we'll have a longer time that we will be paying out to them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think you already touched on, but if I buy a fixed annuity, uh, I have a chance to roll it. So I don't have to guess that interest rates are rising and I, have to, I should wait a year, two, or three to buy a fixed uh, annuity because, in essence, I can gain that higher rate uh, if, if I just go ahead and buy now and then roll it into the next ones, correct? Yep. Yep, and that and that role will happen automatically for you, whether it's you or the advisor. If you've bought a three-year term, it's going to renew at that same term, and so you don't have to. You know, at the end of the three years, if you say I don't want a three-year term, maybe rates have gone up by three or four percent. Maybe you want a ten-year term now. You can change the term, but if you don't do anything, it's going to roll by itself. 
Okay. Now, that, that on the surface sounded uh, fairly straightforward, although we already talked about uh, about 255 complications to an annuity. Uh, so I assume variable annuities get more complicated. Yeah, they do, because, uh, again, I, I love the way that you describe the annuities in general as being that fixed portion uh, of, the, of a person's portfolio. The variable annuities have had incredible popularity, and as the name suggests, they vary. And then the insurance industry will, will say that we're invested in the sub-accounts, and that's correct. Um, the sub-accounts, if you look at them just on the surface, they'll have names that are going to be very similar to a lot of the, a lot of the mutual funds that you or I m- may be using. Mm-hmm. You might mm-hmm. see a, a contra fund in there. And if you look at Fidelity's lineup of funds, they have a contra fund there as well. If you like the Janus Triton fund, there is a Triton fund inside of the uh, in the annuity world. The, the difference is the sub-accounts, the, uh, the, you'll certainly get the performance of, whether it's the Contra Fund or the Triton Fund or what have you, you get the performance there. But the, the way that the structure for cost is set up is a little bit different from the, from the way that the mutual funds are typically set up. Uh, in many cases, that cost structure is lower, but that's offset by you have higher costs because of some of the insurance pieces that go mm-hmm. and get built on. The variable part, and this is the thing that I would I would tell your listeners to take away. If I bought a variable annuity, the name says it's going to vary, and there will be changes to it. It should give me some upside opportunity. Um, it, it will give me some opportunities for some performance increases. If we've bolted on some of those riders that I alluded to earlier, remember the income rider is probably one of the more popular, although there's several different iterations of it. That income rider is based on typically highest contract value, whether that's on an anniversary or a monthly or even a daily function. So if I owned, uh, say, the the Triton Fund or the Contra Fund and it went up 20% last year, there's a good chance that I'm going to get a raise this year if I'm taking distributions because the insurance company is calculating off of a higher balance. So that's where the the real difference is uh, between, let's say, a variable annuity and a fixed annuity where the, the rate is set. The variable annuity, there is no set rate to it. You've assumed the interest ri- or you've assumed the investment risk, whereas in the fixed annuity, you've offloaded that risk. You said, I, I, I'd rather have a known quantity in my hand. Okay, this might be a good time to tell our listeners who just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can listen to the entire portion on the archive. That's on wealthdna.us. And, of course, you'll find prior shows there as well. Today, our special guest is Jason Slade, branch manager and financial advisor with Raymond James, based in the Phoenix West Valley. We're talking about annuities. Okay, Jason, I, I'm, I'm starting to see this variable annuity is different in that I don't have that fixed interest rate, as we were talking about with a fixed annuity. I really don't know exactly uh, what I'm going to get. Uh, but is if I defer taking the money from this, do I have an idea of how much I'll be earning five or ten years from now uh, from that annuity? Okay, a terrific question, Ron, and I, I, and I, I hate to give you the same answer, but it, the answer really is it depends, and it depends on what I've structured. So but let me just walk you through two different okay. scenarios. Good. Uh, neither one of them is good nor bad. They're just two different scenarios. Good Under way. scenario one, assume that you, and our, you as a consumer bought a straight variable annuity with the intention mm-hmm. that 10 years from now you're going to be taking distributions from it. Um, within that straight variable annuity, uh, assume that you just bought... Uh, the, the Fidelity Contra Fund, for instance. Mm-hmm. What you're assuming or what you're hoping as an investor is that the Contra Fund will, will have some type of reasonable performance. Let's say it, it averages 8%. Well, we can guesstimate that 10 years from now, the $100,000 that you put in is going to be worth 200000 and change. And so we can do a little bit of income planning based on that idea. Conversely, now, uh, before I say this, Clearly, we're making some guesstimates there because we don't know what the, what the performance will be. We don't know if it will be higher or lower. We only know right. what we're starting with, and then we make assumptions from there. Conversely, same variable annuity, but now if we were to, if we say, you know what, I'm willing to pay the extra cost for one of the riders. So one of the one of the very common riders has a uh, has a income guarantee to it, and so look, gotcha. let's assume that 5% income guarantee. What I know then immediately, the $100,000 that you invested, 10 years from now, the very worst thing that can happen is you will be able to draw 
$5,000 off of that per year. And the, the math is pretty straightforward. You put in $100,000, the insurance company is going to guarantee you 5%. There's your $5,000 okay. a year that you can take. Gotcha. Okay. Now, what will vary in there is if the contra fund does perform. Let's say that it goes up to 200000 or 250000 The insurance company is going to, that 5% won't change, but it will be 5% of a bigger and bigger number. And so your minimum okay. guaranteed income, we can we know where our minimum is. It may be higher depending on, on what's it is. So that's one of the ideas where, hey, bolting on the rider probably makes some sense because it gives us a baseline to start from um, in terms of performance, and, or in terms of performance of the income, I should say. Wow. Okay. So again, there's you know where when somebody says, well, I think I'm going to buy a variable annuity because uh, you know I have a little more flexibility in what we're going to invest in. Uh, <laughs> that that is only uh, one tenth of the information they need to make that decision. That sounds like there's so many other uh, variations, and they really need to think through back to the question we started with, which is what's important to that particular investor. Right. Uh, because otherwise they could be buying the wrong product and then uh, complain that they were sold the wrong thing. Yep, yep. Even though they asked for a variable annuity, they got it. (laughs) All right. Remember the variable part in there. Exactly. So with a variable uh, annuity, is there a chance that if I said, well, I want to go ahead and get into this variable annuity and I'll take uh, my my payments uh, uh, deferred, is there a chance that by deferring it I could be worse off and never get as much uh, return as I did as if I would have taken the payments right now so that uh, even though my life is is, is, – uh, shorter on that deferred because there's less time they're going to pay me out. Could it be that my that I actually get less money by deferring it than uh, taking it immediately? Yeah, absolutely. So then let me explain why that is because typically okay. when we think about insurance, we we talk about oh there's guarantees and there's there's safety or security in those. When we start when we start our income or the technical term when we annuitize, and again that's that okay. contractual obligation to to. To receive Turn it into an income stream. Mm-hmm. Yep. When we start that, it's based on our age, our gender, the interest rate, and then the dollars or the amount that we're actually investing with. So under the scenario that I that I referenced earlier, you let, uh, assume that you gave the uh, the insurance company a hundred thousand dollars in two thousand and eight, and we didn't add any of the riders, we didn't add any of the protections on there. We just did the straight annuity and said, hey, in two thousand and ten, so. 2011, mm-hmm. we're going to start taking income. And we've invested entirely, let, let's say you just picked the index, the S&P 500. Well, your $100,000 very quickly became worth about $65,000. And it, it by 2010, 2011, you hadn't rec- recovered all that if you were still in that same S&P 500. If you were taking income at that point, it wouldn't be based off of the $100,000 that you had initially deposited it would be based off of the current balance or the current value. And so that would be a very different number and very lower income, even though you are a couple of years older. And it's uh, so your mm-hmm. age, the gender, and the amount, and certainly interest rates when we're talking about the, the fixed piece, but in this case the, the variable portion has really impacted what your payout or your cash flow was going to be out of that particular vehicle. The, and that's... Uh, Understandably, that's where those riders were born out of is how do we eliminate some of that risk? I want to make sure that right. we're annuitizing or, or starting those payments based on some known quantity as opposed to the unknown. Okay, excellent. Because that was one of the key questions I was going to ask later on. It's a very, very, very important. But I think you know, if if there's one point a listener walked away from this show, it would be that one to understand that with a variable annuity. Uh, when they start taking payments could affect the amount that they're actually going to get paid. It could actually be lower, whereas, um, you know, that's not something most people expect. Now, the the insurance uh, salesperson might tell them, but you can't lose money. That's true, <laughs> but you've got less income than you would have had you started right away. Uh, no, the, the, very, the, very important point. Where I hear that, and I'll throw one more factor in here because we've not sure. touched on it. I know that our, our time is running somewhat somewhat brief, most of those insurance products, and the annuities in general, have some type of a death benefit. So when the, when the salesperson okay. says you can't lose money on this, that's not altogether wrong. I would submit it's misleading, but it's not altogether wrong. And, and where it's not wrong, under the scenario that, that we just painted, you, you assume that you bought the annuity in 2008, it drops in value, and 
and and you pass away because of the sticker shock when you look at your statement and <laughs> your hundred thousand is only worth sixty five thousand. Assuming that we put your trust or your bride on as the beneficiary, your trust or your bride is going to get back the original hundred thousand dollars that was put in there. Uh, under most circumstances, uh, that death benefit is at minimum the principal that was put in less any withdrawals that have been taken out. So when they say you can't lose money, again, misleading because you have to die to make sure that happens. (laughs) That that is in the background. Well, I I think I would add, well, maybe it was malnutrition because your payments were so much lower than you expected you couldn't eat. (laughs) But uh, that one, we won't won't scare people away with that uh, at this point. Now, let me just add, it sounds like we obviously can't dig into all of them, but if we're into index annuities, what it's based on, and my returns are going to be dramatically affected by which index I chose right up front, correct? Yeah, the index is going to make a huge difference. The other, the other item that goes hand-in-hand hand with the index choice is how are they actually crediting? Am mm-hmm, I getting point-to-point? Mm-hmm. Point? So how often are they looking at it? And then finally, after the, uh, how often am I getting the credit? The question becomes how much of the total am I going to actually end up with? And I, I alluded to this earlier right, here, like last cap. year. Mm-hmm. If your cap rate was, let's say, in the best-case scenario, uh, the market's up 30%, but your cap rate is is only 90%. You didn't get 30, you got 27. Um, that's oversimplified. It it very rarely works that way. They're going to look at it month to month, and so whatever the the difference is month over month, and then there's a cap rate that they apply to that. When I buy or when we talk to clients about those equity indexed annuities, we usually we usually refer to here's the minimum that two percent and your maximum over any a reasonable length of time. There may be years that this is different, but your maximum your uh, on any reasonable length of time is probably going to be about eight percent, and that's a max kind of a number. I would view those more that two to two to seven percent is what I would tell when I when I run projections and we do our planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we plan under that scenario. That it's a two to seven percent type of a vehicle that. that you're not you are not buying that to mirror the market because it won't. It's not structured to do that. Okay, very very important. Now, if um, well, let me let me just kind of jump ahead and share. Long term care is a whole other topic, and that'll be have to be a separate show because again, it has a very specific purpose we're trying to accomplish. And again, then we might fold in how some of the annuities can be helpful in that arena. But let's switch to this uh, mouthful, the principal protected low cost generation annuity. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but is is it just really a name change, like junk bonds became high yield bonds, or is there really something new that's being introduced uh, as a part of that um, that uh, annuity? You know, I, I, I would I don't. I don't know that it fits either one of those. I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. I think there's a name change. That's the most significant uh, difference. Mm-hmm. What they're really doing with those uh, low-cost, principal-protected, new-generation annuity is we're using uh, typically using ETFs or other vehicles in, for, for the performance, and that's where the low-cost okay. portion comes from. So there's mm-hmm. the performance uh, metric. But the income portion is really no different than we were in the past. And when you again, if if you look at how those are set up, they're looking at a there's a minimum that you can make uh, versus a, a max, some type of a max participation. And again, I would view those. I might be I might get six and a quarter percent kind of on a on a top end, but I would plan on about a four percent uh, growth rate out of it. I, it. Where this has gained more popularity again, it's it's the low cost piece that rings for mm-hmm. most of us. We don't want to pay extra. Uh, I would tell you uh, with with this or any other annuity, so let's just reference and understand what it is that we're paying for because there's always costs associated with it. Those these low cost principal protected annuities, their cost structures are usually right around one and a half from point nine to maybe one point two percent. Some of those variable annuities, and this is where they get contrasted with um, some of the more expensive ones, can cost as much as five percent annually. That's not mm. necessarily a fair comparison because if you're looking at the two of them, they're going to behave differently. Um, but uh, so the low cost, I would say, in reference to what. And then what am I actually asking those dollars to do? And that, that would help dictate. But you're, you're seeing, I think these pieces, whenever we have advancements, I think those are always positive. You know, you can, if we can drive the cost down and make it more transparent, hopefully we can come up with some better names. But uh, that's, I think those are always a benefit if we can get that 
to, to really help out the, the end user, the client. Mm-hmm. All right. No, so the, the, the term both, or the answer both, was, was absolutely correct. It is packaging uh, a little bit differently, but at the same time by using the ETFs and, and doing some other things and maybe folding in some things that are popular, writers, uh, and maybe as a, as a result making those a little bit cheaper uh, does make some sense if this is a yep. package that fits a lot of people. Yep. Yep. Now, I wish we had time to cover a, a lot more because there's so much more to cover, uh, but we'll need to do that on future shows. But let's cover one more important aspect. Why do people buy annuities? What's the fundamental reason that they would want to consider annuities in their uh, portfolio? I think the the biggest reason why people buy annuities um, is they are looking for some tax deferral or they're looking for some known quantity in terms of their income and what that will do, uh, they're looking for a way to protect some of those resources. And those would be really the three key pieces. Now, I, want to, I want to grow on a tax-deferred basis. I want to know what my income is, or I want to give some protection to a particular, uh, to a particular asset. Um, you'll hear some folks say that it's to maintain financial independence, and then what they're really referring to is what what the cash flow can ultimately do. So I, I think it's a cash flow or protection and then tax deferral. More often than not in today's environment, tax deferral is the is the biggest one because, as I said earlier, a lot of the benefits have been distilled down and are much less rich than they were four years, five years, ten years ago. Okay. Uh, Let's make sure before we forget and before we close here is to get your contact information back out to our listeners. Uh, let's cover your uh, your website and probably the easier way to get to it, as you mentioned, is. Go ahead. Yeah, the easy way is just my name, www.jason, uh, the letter L, slade.com. Um, or the the lengthy lengthy way to do that is legacyfinancialservicesgroup.com. Um, and then we've got the two... Uh, physical locations. We've got one in Goodyear, 14950 uh, West Indian School Road, Suite 180, and then in Sun City West at 13843 West Meeker Boulevard, Suite 101. Okay, excellent. I do. I, I'm going to make a point of uh, swinging by the uh, Meeker office. I'd let you know ahead of time just to just to say hello and see where see where that's based. But I do get up there every once in a while. Now we would love to have you. We never covered a number of different types of annuities. We talked a little bit about the various riders, and there are, there are a lot of them. Uh, we're hoping you'll join us again to cover uh, more of the aspects related to how certain types fit in various situations and why uh, a particular investor would want to uh, invest in annuities or may not want to, depending on their situation. Uh, so I'm hoping you'd be willing to do that again. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. This is a fascinating topic with 100 different a hundred different variations, uh, almost on any one on any given piece. So I'd, I'd I'd be thrilled to be able to help. Okay, what would you like to add or emphasize about annuities? Whether we already talked about it or or some additional points so that we don't miss them. You know, just uh, from a I guess from a reputation standpoint, for the long for several years, several decades now, and you we alluded to this earlier, the the annuities really garnered a negative reputation. And I would, mm-hmm. I would submit that whether it's an annuity or any other investment product, there's nothing inherently good nor bad about any of them. They are different tools and they have different uses. And in many cases, uh, if we need tax deferral, if we need known income streams, or if we're trying to protect part of our resources, an annuity can be a good and very valuable part of a good plan. Uh, like any tool, it's probably not something that you want to put everything into because there are some significant drawbacks to using that particular type of a strategy. So I would just, again, my takeaway, there's nothing inherently good nor bad. It's just how am I using it and what am I asking those resources to actually do. Well said. Really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us, Jason, and look forward to having you back on in the future. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. All right, we've covered a number of aspects of annuities, and yet so many aspects we'll need to cover in the future. There are many types and flavors, and knowing whether you should invest in an annuity and which type is far from a simple question. I want to emphasize just three key points. Annuities can't be, and the, the payout or cash flow, as Jason said, can't be compared directly to um, some, something like bonds or, or mortgages just because those are 
still retaining and value. So you have to know if the annuity is going away at the end of your life or the end of um, the life of your spouse or if you will actually have some principal left. So it's how you structure it will affect that. The other important point is you should be comparing it only to loaning types of in, in, um, instruments like CDs or bonds, mortgages. You should not try to compare it to the returns of the stock market or to uh, owning commodities or to owning real estate or owning a business. So they are more in the loaning category. The variable annuities obviously have tried to mix that up for you, but in the end, you have a contract that is trying to pay you something out, and it really should be compared against the fixed income portion. Now, during this uh, show, we covered some important information deciding whether or not annuities are worth pursuing, but certainly not enough information to decide to move forward with an investment in an annuity. Uh, so I really think it will be important to have uh, – Jason and others back on to talk about annuities. And with all investments, it's important to obtain, as I would say, enough knowledge before taking action. And I think I just covered several aspects of the Wealth DNA framework in saying that. Here on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing, and that's topics that will be important to investors today as well as uh, today as well as 50 or 20 years from now. And, and today shows an ex excellent example. Annuities require an investment decision that will affect your future for the next 5, 20, or even 50 years. In the intro, I talked about one of the human traits to procrastinate on long-term decisions. And I certainly hope you view this show as a kind of a first key step toward understanding and researching whether annuities are right for you. It's a decision you should be making uh, in the next few months if your situation kind of dictates that. I encourage you to contact Jason, who's a great resource on annuities and many other alternatives. You see, it can be risky to contact someone who only deals with annuities, even though they may be then specialized and theoretically more knowledgeable, but they're going to be biased. It goes back to the old saying, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then you see every problem as a nail. Now, regular listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show know that our objective here is to help a million people become millionaires. To do that, we share information about a broad range of investment alternatives and certainly annuities need to be factored into that decision process. I believe in fully disclosing my experience with these investments, and I have not invested in an annuity to date. And it's not because I don't think it's a good idea, but as I mentioned earlier, I just don't feel I have sufficient information about the benefits to my portfolio to make a good decision. And I certainly don't know enough about the types. So I look forward to upcoming shows we'll do on annuities and long-term care insurance, a whole other area of protection of your future. And one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be on the second Monday of February. That's February 10th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. Now on that show, we'll have Alan Gorin talk about crowdfunding for raising capital. See, last year, we had Daniel Hirsch give us some background on crowdfunding as an alternative for initial public offerings. And, of course, we talked about what crowdfunding is. It's a totally new area, and we certainly need an update on this new topic. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on www.wealthdna.us, where you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some questions or comments on today's show, maybe some suggestions, or if you haven't received emails about the upcoming shows, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events as well. Happy investing, and maybe annuities should be part of your investment portfolio. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. 
Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>